If we took a holiday, and we did a giveaway, lots of chances for you to win. It'll give you, it'll give you a big old grin. It's that time, dear friend. It is our holiday giveaway, which Whitney and I are so excited to share with you because we have so much cool stuff that you have a chance to win. I just, Whitney, I'm kind of bursting at the seams, not because I'm still full on leftovers from Thanksgiving. Oh, I am as well. I am so excited. And don't forget, this is not just a holiday giveaway. This is also our one year anniversary with this podcast celebratory giveaway. And we want to make sure that you, the listener, get a chance at winning some of the amazing things we've included. You can go visit wellevator.com slash giveaway to enter right now. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com slash giveaway. Do I need to spell that out too? I might as well. G-I-V-E-A-W-A. Wait, wait a second. I screwed it up. I screwed up the word giveaway. Let me do this again. G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y. There you go wellvader.com slash giveaway. Check it out. We have amazing prizes for you from incredible companies that we've talked about on the show. If you've had some FOMO, fear of missing out, if you've heard us talk about brands and you've been eyeing them for a while, this is your opportunity to get them for free. Super high value, tons of incredible wellness brands. Go check it out at wellevator.com slash giveaway. Please don't ask me to spell it again. It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because This Might Get Uncomfortable starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. I was recently watching Instagram video from an artist that I really admire. His name is Alex Ebert, and some of you may know him, the dear listeners, may know him as the lead singer of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And he has a pretty amazing solo career with his music and his art and his activism. And we will link to his Instagram and his musical links in the show notes for this episode at our website, which is wellevator.com. Our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And Alex has been branching out into some pretty interesting territory on his Instagram page recently. He released at the beginning of this year a really wonderful solo record that I highly suggest if you're into music, you listen to and and download and pick apart. It's a really fascinating mashup of a lot of different genres. It's kind of difficult to classify and definitely different than his work with Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Anyway, the point is he's been talking a lot about manifestation and creating your own reality and the a lot of the, I guess, sort of principles that we've touched upon, Whitney and I have touched upon here on the podcast, and really sort of not just demystifying, but myth-busting a lot of these concepts that new age people have been holding on to for many, many decades of. We have a sovereign reality, and we created ourselves, and it's independent of anyone else's reality. And you know, 
that if we're walking around with an abundance mindset and a lot of self-love and, and sovereignty, we don't have to be affected by other people's poverty or struggle or challenges. And certainly, I think this year has shown us that we're pretty much all bound to a pretty similar reality with COVID and the economic downturn. The recent video he posted that I want to reference and, and dig into Whitney and just sort of talk about maybe the interweaving of all this, he was talking about a lot of people's desire to find a villain to rage against. That in the recent election where Donald Trump was defeated by Joe Biden, for all intents and purposes, it looks like Joe Biden's going to get sworn in on January the 20th, that he's observing that anthropologically, a lot of people will just go from one villain to the next villain to the next villain to the next villain, almost as if they are looking for something to fight or something to rage against or something that's trying to take away their rights or their liberty or their pursuit of happiness. And now that Trump's been defeated, he's noticing that a lot of, I guess, liberals or progressives or however people classify themselves are just finding new things to rage against. It's the masks, it's the COVID policies, it's the shutdowns in California and Michigan and other states. And he was positing this idea that I want to dig into today of why is it that that we as humanity sometimes feel the need to find an enemy to fight all of the time? That there's this desire to label something as bad or wrong or or again taking away our rights and our privileges and and our freedoms and he was just saying it's kind of a never-ending thing that if you're in this mindset of always looking for something to fight against or to make someone an enemy, that's a never-ending rabbit hole. And it's it's given me a lot of pause this week in in reflecting on how I have done that in my life. Perhaps there there's something that I'm always like, oh, this is bad. We need to defeat this person. We need to defeat Trump or we need to defeat fascism or, you know, fuck the masks or, or fuck the vaccines. And he's just going on this diatribe, a very wise diatribe of like, why do you always have to be looking for something to fight or or somebody to make the villain? And it's interesting. And and you and I have talked a bit about politics here and a bit about sociology and our explorations on this might get uncomfortable. And I guess I'm throwing it to you, Whitney, to to think about like, what do you think is behind this mentality? Have you observed it in yourself? Have you observed it in people in your life? Sort of this idea that we always have to fight against something that's trying to destroy us or take away our rights. Hmm. I mean, I've certainly observed it. And I certainly don't feel that strongly right now. I, I feel very neutral in in general because i've i've gone through phases of wanting to kind of prove somebody wrong get on my high horse take a a strong position i think it's interesting the psychology of why we want to i guess like stand up for something or like look for something to be opposed to you know and i certainly from like an environmental standpoint and a vegan standpoint i i have experienced a lot of this of of thinking like gosh the the earth is falling apart and we're treating it horribly like how dare people do that and there's a lot of like self righteousness in there and same thing with vegan and i'll kind of catch myself now judging other people for their behavior like how dare they do this or that and now i feel more balanced about it because I'm not changing my opinions about sustainability and compassion and cruelty and and health and all of that. But I guess I'm being more accepting because I recognize that not everybody is of the same mindset. In fact, I, I think that every person probably thinks things differently than one another, sees the world differently. We all have these nuanced lifestyles, even when we agree upon something. And we see this 
within our friendships and our romantic partners and our children and our parents. And if you look at anybody in your life that you've spent a ton of time with and have a lot in common with, even they are not exactly like you. You can get in arguments with somebody even when you think that you're being clear and somebody's on the same level as you. And I think that just goes to show that we can't go about... I think like I believe that it's really within our egos to get on this pedestal and think that we have all the answers and that anybody's not with us is against us. And to... I mean, this ties into so many of our conversations, Jason, like when we talk about that episode we did about gurus and experts. It's like, who is anybody to call themselves a guru or an expert when we're constantly learning? You know, I think we can use that term lightly if we're not taking it super seriously. Because if you take it super seriously, my belief system is that a guru or an expert doesn't have anything else to learn, doesn't have a way to grow. And I immediately question somebody when they come across as if they have all the answers. And I think right now, there are a lot of people getting up on pedestals because it's socially acceptable to do so. We are in a a phase of our society right now, especially due to social media, where it's culturally acceptable to take a position and take a side. And obviously, as you're bringing up like politics, too, it's encouraged to take a side. Like, who are you voting for? Who are you against? And I'm just not at a place where where I want to be super one way or another. We talked about this in the episode with Ben Decker. When it comes to politics, certainly I feel strongly about who I voted for. And I do have issues with the opposite person of that, right? Who I perceive as being opposite. But I also don't feel fully comfortable shaming somebody for voting for someone different than me or trying to proclaim that if if you don't vote for this person, then you're against this person or, you know, whatever, all these proclamations we want to make. I just, I personally find that very in the ego. I suppose where, where my mind goes piggybacking on on what you said, Whitney, is this idea that if we just make life the way we think it ought to be, then we'll feel okay. We've talked about like permutations of this in terms of materialism. You know, once I get the house and the car and the wife and the the certain amount of money, then I'll feel fulfilled or I'll feel complete or I'll finally feel like I can be joyful in my life. You know, sort of that that capitalist materialist ladder that we're all encouraged to climb in many modern societies. But I think I think a, a related dynamic of that is you mentioned the the vegan community and i suppose the earth rights or the ecological activists and and a lot of the communities or arenas you and i have played in and continue to play in you know we have many passions and many things that we certainly endeavor to make positive changes with but the the slippery slope that i'm looking at is kind of similar to the materialist conversation in the sense that if we just get people you know if we just get like half the global population to eat vegan and stop eating animals that'll be better for the earth we'll feel like like our mission is complete or whatever or if we just get people to start reducing their package consumption single use plastics we get people to stop polluting we get the automakers to start making more electric cars we get less dependence on coal fired power plants or fracking i mean i don't need to go down this rabbit hole it just seems to me that if we kind of look at the swath of human history, recorded human history, there's always been something that small groups of people have looked at and said, this is, quote, wrong, or we ought to change this because it's damaging the earth, it's taking advantage of people, it's, you know, trampling the weaker people in our society. 
But I, I think that I don't know that there's ever going to be a point where we look at the world and say like, oh, it's it's finally peaceful now and it's finally equitable and it's finally we're at a place of a certain level of compassion and nonviolence. It's a weird thing and I'm trying to explain it. It's almost like my heart has this idealist mentality of, yeah, we could do that. We can create a more equitable, compassionate, fair, balanced world. But then the other side of me who maybe looks at, again, the patterns and the cycles of human history go like, I don't know that we're actually going to ever get there. You know, that we could ever create a world where conflict and war and disagreement and strife and and the polarization will ever fully be gone. Because we could go back to, you know, Egypt and Rome and Sumeria and really look at history and there's always been war. There's always been conflict. There's always been classism and kings and pharaohs and the elites at the top and a whole lot of people at the bottom. It doesn't mean it couldn't happen. I just question whether or not those of us who are trying to idealize life or have an ideal standard for the world, if that's an even appropriate thing to hold on to. Does that make any sense? It does make sense. And I just feel like it's complicated. You know, I think it it comes back to this idea of, of thinking that we have the answers, wanting something, expecting something, and also how things take time. And a lot of us want to see something happen in our lifetime. We want to see changes. And I I feel like my grandfather was a really good eye-opening experience for me because he lived until he was 97 and a half. And I remember him multiple times in his lifetime saying like, oh, I wish I would be around to see this thing happen. Right. It was like he was really aware of the fact that even living almost 100 years, he wasn't able to see everything develop. He did see a lot, you know, a hundred years is a long period of time, but you know, world peace wasn't achieved in his lifetime, right? (laughs) Like there are a lot of things like he wasn't alive for COVID. Like, can you imagine like all the things that are going to happen after our lifetime? And I think it's just this idea of like, it's very humbling when you realize that our lives are short and we don't have as much control as we think we do. And I almost wonder when people get to this place of like trying to control things too much, is it that they're like almost desperately clinging to like, I've got to make a change before my life ends. And I think there's something really wonderful about that. But like anything else, we can't be attached to the outcome. We can't, you know, be clinging to all these expectations. And we have no idea how quickly change will happen or how long it'll even last. You know, like if we look at our government, for example, we had this president who was trying to make a lot of big changes and he did make a lot of changes. And now we have another president coming in who is probably going to revert a bunch of those things, you know. (laughs) And so it's like we have these this four year period of someone coming in and trying to drastically change things. And then we have somebody else in who's like, nope, going back to the way it was or we're going to change things again, you know, and as citizens, like we don't have that much control because that person is the president and we have this whole government in place. So we have a certain amount of control. And then there's a number of things that we simply just don't have as much control over as we'd like to think. One thing that comes up for me, and I don't know that you and I have really gone <laughs> gone down this road, but hell, it's the nature of the podcast is getting uncomfortable. So let's do it. I saw an article on ABC 11 yesterday. We can link to it in the show notes again. Our website is wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And just click on the podcast section. It'll take you to the show notes for this episode and all of our previous episodes if you want to go down that glorious rabbit hole. So this ABC 11 article wit was talking about the possibility that the Biden administration 
through the CDC, and they actually had an image of this, which was really interesting, was almost like a a vaccine report card. It was almost like a written actual physical record of whether you had or had not received the upcoming doses of of COVID vaccines, which I think the two that are scheduled to come out soon to first responders and the most critical need are like from Pfizer and Moderna. I know University of Oxford has a vaccine that's also coming out. Those are sort of the three big ones, I suppose, internationally and and nationally here in the US that are going to get rolled out. Anyway, you know, if we talk about the political side of this, you know, one of the biggest concerns that I have is that I'm not, you know, even though I voted for Biden, and I suppose I would typically classify myself as perhaps more on the side of liberalism, right? There's been some comments and leanings toward him potentially, you know, making vaccines mandatory for certain applications. I personally have had so many conversations about vaccines with people online, and they've been civil conversations, thankfully, for the most part. And, you know, my concern, Whitney, I suppose, with the new administration is whether or not they're going to start being heavy handed with requiring a COVID vaccine to do things like fly or get an updated driver's license or attend sporting events or attend concerts, which we absolutely love to go to. And I think there's going to be some interesting ethical ramifications and considerations with all this, right? Because if for some reason there is some sort of national constraints put on flying, you know, you and I have family that lives thousands and thousands of miles away. It's like, okay, do we get a vaccine so we are allowed, quote unquote, to fly and go see our loved ones? Do we refuse the vaccine and say, well, I guess it's road trips for the rest of our life? <laughs> and you know, digging into the research of what's in these vaccines, there's concern about the composition of the higher levels of mercury and heavy metals, of the modified mRNA genetics and the DNA sequence that's in there, of aborted fetal cells, of egg albumin. I mean, if you really dig into some of the components in these vaccines, it's a very strange hybrid Frankenstein weird neo-futurist thing. And I guess my concern as we're going there, because I want to go there, it's part of this conversation, is the balance between having our physical sovereignty and our rights to our health potentially threatened by some sort of national mandate that might require us to get a vaccine to have access to certain things. And I'm curious if you've thought about this, Wit, of if there is some sort of mandate, okay, with the new administration, and we're faced with a challenge of fly or not fly, go to concerts, not go to concerts. And again, this is all conjecture. What do you think you might do about it? Have you thought about this at all? I have thought about it and I don't have a, a conclusive answer yet. <laughs> I really don't know. I, I've Up until now, I have been really of the mindset of not getting vaccines unless I really feel like I need them. And and I haven't felt like I've needed a vaccine in so long. Like, I can't remember the last time I had one, you know, versus some people go get the flu vaccine every year and they don't think much of it. I just, yeah, purely haven't felt the need. And that's my general perspective when it comes to my health and well-being is if I don't really need something and I don't really want it, then what's the point? You know, like in general with going to the doctor, like I'm not somebody that goes to the doctor all the time. I go when I feel like I need to or, you know, it's recommended. And I think it's complicated with vaccines because there's the side of things around what's actually in them. 
you know, and I see a lot of videos on TikTok, people kind of making light of this, like, well, we we eat all sorts of crazy foods and we don't always check the ingredient list. So why should we be so concerned? Or one of the popular trends is like, I've been eating, you know, junk food my entire life. So I'm fine. And thus, why should I worry about what's inside a vaccine? You know, there's that kind of mentality that I don't fully agree with, but I also kind of see the point. Like, I'm very unsure at this time, Jason, because I think your question of does it really feel necessary? Because I hear a lot of people saying, like, I can't wait for the vaccine to come out. And my gut feeling to that, Jason, is, ooh, like, (laughs) why are people so excited about this vaccine when, like, it's brand new? You know, that makes me uncomfortable. Like, we don't have enough experience with it, you know? But I can see that people are excited about it because it is hard to stay inside all the time. It's hard not to see our loved ones. It's hard not to travel. It's, you know, this way of life has been a challenge, you know, and by the time a vaccine is widely available, we've probably been going through this for a year plus. And that's a really, really long time. And a lot of people have died. So I can see why the vaccine is exciting because that means less people will die. And we'll be able to go back to what we perceive as normal living again for the most part. So I'm actually not anti-COVID vaccine and I'm generally not anti-vaccine. It's more of a personal thing. You know, I suppose it's not far off of being pro-life versus pro-choice. You know, I, I can see both sides. I can understand them. I have my opinions on that, which I'm not going to get into today, but I I also kind of lean towards the middle, even though I definitely have one strong opinion. It's not super far left or right is my point. And I I felt the same way about vaccines. I think that anti-vaxxers can be really extreme. And I think pro-vaxxers can be very extreme as well. And I like to balance out a lot of different information. I think being someone who enjoys research I will probably do a lot of research and I hope that there are different vaccines that we can choose from. I hope that we can be very educated because I personally don't feel comfortable taking a vaccine that's brand new. That scares me. That puts up a red flag. But I also, to some of the points of these people making light social media content on this. You know, Jason, you and I experiment a lot with different types of vegan food. And when you look at brands like Impossible Foods, like that's a big experiment. Like that stuff is being created in a lab. That stuff includes genetically modified ingredients. And GMOs haven't been around that long. It's been like, what, 40 years or something like that? Don't quote me on that. But it hasn't been that long of a time. Maybe they came out in like the 50. I I don't remember exactly. But my point is, it's still a very short amount of time that we've had genetically modified ingredients. And I'm not 100% organic. So I'm putting genetically modified foods in my body sometimes. Right. And I'm kind of sitting here like, oh, well, it's not that harmful. So that leads me back to wondering, like, hmm, maybe vaccines like aren't that harmful. Maybe it's worth it. And I I guess like ultimately, Jason, this is a long answer because I haven't really talked about it this out, out loud. So I'm still processing. I'm still figuring it out. And I guess that is the big point here is at this point, I don't feel like I need or want the vaccine, but that could change tomorrow. And The vaccines are constantly changing. Accessibility is changing. There's a lot of factors in place. And I'm certainly not against the COVID vaccine, too. Like, I I think it's going to help the world a lot. And if it could prevent 
unnecessary deaths, then that ultimately is the most important element. It does come down to hopefully a personal choice. And I'm grateful that Biden has said it's not going to be mandatory. But he did say recently that he, well, he kind of implied that he hopes people get it. And I was like, okay, well, I hope that it won't be mandatory. I would like to have that choice. You know, I think I I lean hard toward the anti-vax side, personally, in the sense that I think that human immune systems have developed over, depends how old you think humanity is, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. I don't want to debate our origins. That's a different podcast conversation. But for me, I, I think I tend to lean more toward the anti-vax side in the sense that if we are taking care of ourselves, whatever that may mean to you, then I think in most cases to trust our immune systems to hopefully fight off whatever the infection is happening and develop antibodies strengthens us. There's a really funny bit. If I can find it on YouTube, we'll link to it in the show notes. There's a my favorite comedian of all time, George Carlin, had a bit in one of his specials where he was talking about sort of the overdependence on antibacterial things. Everything's antibacterial. Everything's anti-germ. And he's like, when I was a kid, we swam in the Hudson fucking river. We swam in liquid shit. Okay. And you know what that did to our immune systems? It strengthened them. He says it way more funny and eloquent than I did. But I think there's something to be said of allowing the human immune system to quote, work out what it needs to work out. And in me saying this, I'm by no means overlooking the deaths that have occurred, right? I'm not saying like, ah, oh, well, their immune systems weren't up to snuff. I'm not being a cold, discompassionate person when I say this, but this idea that we we need science to protect us. It's a slippery slope. And for me, I actually I don't I don't know if I told you this, Wit, but when I when I had my motorcycle accident in the early November, prior to my surgery to repair my collarbone, the orthopedic surgeon said, Have you had a flu shot? I said, No. He said, Well, you're gonna need a flu shot. I said, No, I'm not. I don't need a flu shot. He said, well, here's the thing. Before we do surgery on you, because one of the pieces of your clavicle is so close to your lung, we don't want your lung to collapse. And so to support your lung function, your respiratory system, we require you to have the flu shot before surgery. And I pushed back hard. I pushed back like a motherfucker on this guy. But it ultimately came down to the fact that my body is broken. It needs a surgical plate installed. I have to have surgery. My bone is not going to heal itself on its own the way it was was shattered. And I had to make a decision to look at my values, which again, leans toward anti-vaccine. I did not want the flu shot. I had no desire to get the flu shot. But in order to have my body surgically repaired, I had to make a decision, right? Dude? And it wasn't even a decision, really. It's, I can't leave my body broken and my bone shattered. I need to have surgery. So I'm going to swallow swallow my ethical stance or my value to not get a vaccine and get the goddamn thing so I can get surgery. And it was it was a moment where I was I was pissed, you know, I didn't want to get it, but I understood why the surgeon and the doctor had said it. But it's interesting because during my follow-up appointment, I went back in to get my body looked at and the the doctor was like, "Oh, have you had your pneumonia shot?" I'm like, "I don't need your fucking pneumonia shot, okay? Like stop pushing this shit on me." So, the issue that I at least have in my healthcare system is that almost every single time I see them, "Oh, do you have this shot? Do you have that shot? Do you have this vaccine?" every time I see them. And it's like, "Hmm, do I believe that you're actually that concerned about my health or are we looking at the financial incentive?" through the drug companies for you to continue pushing these, right? Because it's like every single time, Whitney, did you get this shot? Did you get that shot? I'm like, just, I don't want your damn shots. But 
in this one case to get surgery, I made an exception. It wasn't easy, but in some ways it was easy because what was the alternative? Stay broken and not get surgery, you know? But it was tough for me. It was tough for me to like actually accept that and get that shot. I would probably react the same way, you know? And, and I guess it just comes down to each moment. And in noticing our resistance, because as we were talking about at the very beginning, like it's it's very easy to get biased based on our bubbles. And when you've been vegan, if you're basically, I don't know if this is the best word here, but let's just say indoctrinated into believing that if you eat any animal products, you know, you're committing this huge sin. And some people really strongly believe that. I'm not that extreme about it. I certainly go out of my way to avoid animal products. But as many vegans know, every once in a while, you accidentally ingest something. Like you think that you're buying something that's vegan and maybe you forgot to look at the ingredients and suddenly there's some milk byproduct in it or you get served food and you don't realize till after a few bites that it had cheese in it. You know, like the these things happen and we can get really upset about it and freak out in those moments or we can say, all right, well, now I got to deal with it, right? Like I got to figure out what to do. And even though this goes against my values here, or I mean, a better example to this, I think, is when it comes to sustainability. I mean, I've been studying sustainability for many years, but I still buy products that are plastic, you know, and it's hard, but sometimes it's convenient. Sometimes the price is right. Sometimes I'm dying to to try a certain product. And there are some people who are so committed to being eco-friendly that they would never do those things, right? And there are times where I feel really guilty about it. But a lot of the times it just comes down to that moment and evaluating the options and trying to figure it out and really being aware of the long-term effects of it for myself and for the planet. Just like when you're a vegan, you're thinking about yourself, you're thinking about the environment, you're thinking about the animals, like there's a whole ripple effect. And sometimes we can freak out over things that may not have as big of a ripple effect as as we think that they do because we've been so conditioned to view it from these extremes. And I think that the same thing is true about organic, right? Like I know some people who are like super committed to organic living and is it going to kill them to have something that's genetically modified or has, you know, chemical, you know, unnecessary chemicals or certain types of pesticides on it, probably it won't kill them, but it does go against their ethics. It does go against their belief systems and it makes them feel like they're making a bad choice. And I, you know, was the flu shot, Jason, going to kill you? Probably not. I'm sure it might have some long-term damage for a percentage of people. And I, I think that there's enough evidence to say that. And that's, you know, we're taking a risk, but we take risks with so much in our lives. And I, I think it comes down to this like perfectionism mentality, right? And I, it really, to me, is an individual decision. And I think going back to like this mandatory thing, that's what is important. It's like, okay, you probably could have found a doctor that wouldn't require you to do certain things. And are you going to go spend the time and the money to go find that doctor? Maybe yes, maybe no. Are you going to move to a different state or a different country that doesn't require you to do certain things? Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, parents have to deal with this all the time with the school systems. Like, it's hard. I know a lot of really mindful parents that struggle with these decisions all the time because they might find a lot of benefits to living in one place, but they don't fully align with all of the rules and regulations there. Well, I think too, it's it's about the severity and the volume of things too. When I was having a recent conversation with my mom, Susan, and we were talking about vaccines, I asked her, I said, hey, mom, you know, in the 70s when I was little, do you remember how many vaccines I had, you know, back then? And she's like, yeah, I think you had like five. 
you know, and she was listing them off. I don't remember them off the top of my head. It might have been like measles, rubella, mumps, but it was like five. And this was, I was born in 1977. And now if we look at sort of a standard suggested vaccine record, we're looking at the potential, and I say potential, there's some evidence about, you know, the, again, the MMR combo vax, the measles, mumps, rubella combination vaccine. There's contentiousness about the sheer number of vaccines on record. In some jurisdictions, it's 40, 50, 60. I mean, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of different vaccines that are recommended. And I remember talking again to my mom about when she was little and when polio was kind of ravaging the United States when she was a little girl and and how the polio vaccine was credited with eradicating that for the most part from the United States. But I think to me, Whitney, in this conversation, it's it's taking into account the way that the pharmaceutical companies have been increasing the dosages, varying the combinations, and increasing the sheer number, right? Because if you think about it, if my mom in the 50s had like, what, maybe three vaccines, in the 70s, I had five. And now in you know the 2020s, depending again on the doctor and where you're at, you know it can be dozens and dozens and dozens of vaccines. And it begs the question, why? Like if, if we as humans have existed for millennia without vaccines, or most recently in the 1950s and, and 60s and 70s, gone with say three to five as standard, and now we have dozens It's like, mm, you know, something is fishy. Something is odd about this. And again, I always say follow the money. Look at where the influence is. Look who's profiting. And I'm not saying this to be a conspiracy theorist. I mean, I'm, you look at look at the profits of companies like Pfizer and Moderna and Noventus and, and companies like that. And where are they getting their profits from? So I'm going on record to say, as you said, Whitney, it is important for each one of us to to do our research with an open mind, try and and I say this for myself too, overcome any confirmation bias because I tend to be kind of anti-corporate, rage against the machine. It's funny we started with that. I tend to be angry and and for myself kind of at times looking for an enemy to fight against. But it's really a down to, is this necessary? Do we need dozens and dozens of injections for our children so they can be, quote, healthy and protected when generations prior, again, got through with zero or three or five? It's just, it's food for thought. And each one of us, I think, need to really sit and consider all of these ramifications for ourselves. Hey, 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 we're going to pause for a brief moment to remind you to enter our holiday giveaway and podcast anniversary cornucopia of amazing prizes that are coming your way. You've heard us mention a lot of great brands in the podcast here, and we have partnered with so many in our holiday giveaway, including Brush with Bamboo, New Wave Enviro, Hop Chocolate, The Bitter Housewife, Sun Warrior, V-Dog. There's so many incredible brands in this package. Peak Tea is included as well. Peak Tea. And you know what? It's part of our season of giving. We feel like being super generous. Why? Because we've had a hard MF in year, okay? Everyone's just been like, oh, when is this going to be over? But you know what? There's something about receiving gifts and love and nourishment that just makes getting through this whole craziness just a whole lot easier. So we're excited to have you enter. Whitney, what's that URL again? Well, I'm not going to spell it this time again because I don't want to mess it up. Although maybe I will. Maybe sometimes it's good to get back up and try something. So here we go. The URL is wellevator.com slash giveaway. It's a very easy word to spell, although you could still mess it up like I did. So let me try this again. W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R dot com backslash G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y. I did it, Jason. Nailed it. 
Nailed it. The one thing that I observed too, Wit, and you talked about kind of, you know, having kids is the friends of ours and the colleagues of ours who have had this this debate in the state of California of whether or not to vaccinate their kids to allow them to come into a, a public school setting or even a private school setting. Or at this time, you know, through COVID, pretty much everyone is being homeschooled. And so it's not necessarily as much of a consideration now with kids being homeschooled and, and having tutors and, and distance learning. But it's one of those things that I've always thought I don't necessarily plan on having children, although who knows, but it's it's not an aim of mine in this lifetime to have them. But I've often thought, of, similar to the ethical consideration I had of getting the flu shot before my surgery, if I were to enroll my child in a, a public or private school that required a vaccination record to enroll them, that would be a tough decision. You know, it's it's something that I'm not facing now, but reflecting it back with with good friends of ours like Adam we've had here on the podcast and and other other families, it's been kind of a wrenching decision of okay, we don't really plan on homeschooling our kid. We want them to have the community experience. We want to have the the social bonding of being around friends in a school setting. You know, what's the minimum number we can get away with and how can we space them out in order to do this? But to your point, you know, it's like, okay, if, if you don't want to be in a state that requires these, do you move? Do you pick up your family and move? It's a very complicated, nuanced conversation we're having here. And again, depending on whether the listener is neutral or on one side or the other, or some people might be pissed right now, we don't know. We don't know how you're reacting, dear listener. That's why we love to hear from you. <laughs> but I think like many things, Whitney, that we discuss here on the podcast there's many gray areas and it's not necessarily a black or white conversation. I certainly, and I know you share this sentiment, want to be as healthy as possible and want to make as many educated, informed decisions as possible. But if there's one topic that I get a bit riled about in all of this, it definitely is the vaccine conversation because I think it ought to be a choice for people. And anytime they make things mandatory that we have to put something in our bodies, that's when I start to kind of get into, uh, I don't know, warrior mode, you know? So if in the state of California, they were to make them mandatory, I would probably move, to be honest with you. Well, to be fair, you've been thinking about moving anyway, so maybe it'll just be <laughs> the <final> straw. <laughs> it's the cherry, the vaccine cherry, the cherry flavored vaccine on top. Mm-hmm. But in all of this, I just think, you know, what this ties into is sort of a, a conversation we've mentioned that we've been inspired by Joe Rogan's podcast and his format before. And one of the most compelling episodes that we have referenced here and that I've dug into a little bit deeper where his conversations with Elon Musk about the hybridization of biology and technology. And I don't know if you caught this, Whitney, earlier in the year when Elon did it was a very strange video. It was a very strange demo of him hooking up the Neuralink, which is this neurological computer slash AI system that's supposed to, I guess, in its ultimate application, help prevent things like mental illness, depression, schizophrenia, bipolar. There's a lot of interesting potential applications for this Neuralink technology Elon is investing in. And he did this demo where he hooked the Neuralink up to a pig and it was kind of like, mm, this didn't really demonstrate what you're talking. It was a very strange thing. I don't know if you saw, we'll link to the video in the show notes, but you know, there's, there's all this fascinating discussion in our lifetime of sort of creating, for lack of a better term, cyborgs, where we will be seeing the increasing hybridization of humans with technology. 
And I kind of feel, I kind of feel weird about that too, you know, in the sense of, are we going to get to a point where Elon's been talking about where we could potentially download our consciousness onto a hard drive or a cloud, sort of like Avatar, right? Where we could take our consciousness and put it into a different vessel. And then that brings up this idea of immortality, right? If we were to, (laughs) I'm going on a tangent, but I don't care because this is what we do here, to create clones of ourselves or hybrid biological technological vessels where we would never, our consciousness, quote unquote, would never technically die. We would just transfer it to a different vessel. And that brings up a whole different host of ethical considerations and, and may reframe our concept of what death actually is. You know, I'm curious if, if this, is this something that intrigues you, excites you, freaks you out? Would you consider ever doing that, Whitney? If maybe like you and I do live to our nineties or hundreds and they're like, Hey, guess what? We've got this really great kind of cloned hybrid cyborg vessel that you could just download your consciousness into. Does that intrigue you, excite you, freak you out? How do you feel about that whole conversation? Cause it's kind of an offshoot of, of what we're talking about. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it before. I I wouldn't say it freaks me out because I think by the time that happens, it'll be a common thing, I suppose. In some ways, I'm an early adopter. And in other ways, I like to really wait things out. So I probably would want to wait that out a bit. I don't feel like super eager to digitize my life quite to that extent, I suppose. But who knows? I mean, this is the thing. We can't even know how we would react to something like that until it happens. And I think that's kind of my big perspective. It's like I'm in this present moment and I'm making the best decisions that I know how to make right now based on my current belief systems. How I'm going to feel a month from now, I have no idea. And that goes back to my initial point about expertise and being a guru. It's like, okay, maybe you're an expert in this moment. But if you are constantly learning, then you're going to be on a different level of expertise a month from now based on what you're studying and reading. And you might completely change your perspective on things. You know, like, gosh, the amount of times that I've changed my opinion and like shifted my belief systems based on education is remarkable, you know, and I'm humble enough to admit when I'm wrong most of the time. Sometimes it's not easy, but I'm trying to stay open minded. And not like try to act like how I feel in this moment is how I'm always going to feel about something because I really enjoy learning. And that process of learning often means that you might find something that conflicts with something that you've currently believed. You know, like, for example, when I was studying the keto diet, like that was very different than some of my old mentality about being really into starchy foods and eating a high carb diet. Like I was super into a high carb diet a while ago. And now I actually believe that a low carb diet feels better for me. And while I was studying keto, I was coming across a lot of information that was about animal products. And this is another great example is I might not believe that I should eat animal products, but I understand that some people believe that they should eat animal products and that's okay. You know, like that's part of the keto diet for the majority of people. Vegan keto is still a new thing versus, you know, most people associate keto with eating a ton of of animal-based foods and they all believe that that's really good for them because that's what they've been taught. That's what they've learned. And so it was really interesting studying keto 
when the great majority of information I came across was about animal foods and I had to kind of put my own spin on it, you know? So I think if you just stay humble and stay eager to learn and stay present, you're just going to make the best decisions that you can in that moment. I think for me, you know, if I can wax philosophical for a second, it's it's an idea of sort of this, I don't know, not dual-edged sword, but I really appreciate the studies of longevity and epigenetics and intermittent fasting and antioxidants and things that affect our DNA. And I'm really into that. That's one aspect of health and wellness that really fascinates me. But kind of going back to this idea of a hybrid between you know science and technology and biology, if we, our ego, I don't even know how to, this is a very nuanced thing. Like our body dies, the vessel dies, but our consciousness never dies and just gets transferred to a different vessel. How would that even change our relationship to death? I mean, can you imagine, <laughs> I know I'm going off on a, on a bizarre tangent here, but can you imagine like, you know, you have a loved one that's close to death and there's a different, I don't know, body or robot body or, or a clone or what, there's a million different versions of this conversation, but you know, your grandma or your spouse or your mom or your dad or your sister, or your brother gets just transferred to a different vessel and, you know, they wake up in this new body, so to speak. And they're just like, whoa, that was a trip. And it's like, oh, you're, you're back, but you look different. You're in a different body, but you're, you, the essence of you, your consciousness is actually dead. I mean, it would really dramatically change our concept of spirituality. It would dramatically, I think, change our concept of death, how we view death. I mean, it's it's a fascinating thing to think about, isn't it? I mean, and not only that, but if we keep going down this rabbit hole of if you and I knew that at the whatever end of, of this body decaying or being in an accident or whatever, they could just transfer our consciousness and download it to a new thing. How would that change people's behavior? You know, would they be more reckless? Would they take more risks? Would they not value their lives as much? Or would they value them more? I'm just kind of pontificating and waxing poetic here, but it really does beg the question how that would change so many aspects of how we view life and death. You know, and that's the part that really fascinates me, Whitney, is how would it change our eating? How would it change our health and fitness? How would it change our relationship to God and spirit if we knew we could just transfer our consciousness to a different body or vessel? Like, I think it would change so much about our relationship to life. Well, did you know that there's a TV show about this? It's not. No. Like it's no, not, it's fictional, but it's called Upload. It's on Amazon Prime and it's based in 2033 when humans are able to upload themselves into a virtual afterlife and computer programmers basically manage their entire afterlife and like the living can go communicate with the dead and then the living can then go upload themselves to that same afterlife and then be with each other through eternity. Wow. I did not know about this. Have you watched it? I have. I actually didn't really like it as a show. I loved the concept, but the acting, it was like, a, it's a little cheesy for my taste, but I have heard people rave about it. There's 10 episodes in one season right now. And I want to give it another chance because people say it's really good. It's just like stylistically not my thing, but I i mean, the concept is awesome. And it's like a digital heaven, basically. And also it's fascinating from a like a status or a um, financial perspective, I suppose, because like there are like high end afterlifes that you can choose if you have enough money. And so like the first episode or so 
kind of touches upon classism and how like the rich can afford a better afterlife than like the poor can. And then I don't even know if the poor can afford to even choose that afterlife. So it's like very much about having access to things that other people might not have access to. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to consider that. It's almost like it reminds me of the movie Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where you could take a sort of virtual consciousness vacation. If you haven't seen Total Recall, it's actually a really good movie. It's one of Arnold's finest, but it, it's similar in the sense where they hook his mind and his consciousness up to kind of an alternate reality, but it actually diverts, spoiler alert, it diverts back to his real life. It's a really, really cool movie, but it is interesting. It kind of touches on this sort of sci-fi future reality where you know, people with wealth and privilege and status just transfer that to different mechanisms and means. And I don't know, it's an interesting thing, Whitney. It's, as you said, things are changing so fast, our perspectives and and how we feel about life and what we're learning seems to be continuing at such a rapid, expansive rate all the time that to know how we're going to feel about these potential future technologies, whether they manifest in our lifetime or not, as you said, there's no way of knowing until we get there. So, you know, for right now, we do the best we can and we maybe sit with the questions that are right in front of us. And I have a tendency to feel a lot of anxiety when I think about the future. And it may be pedantic or rote or cliche, but I think the more present we can be in the moment is an antidote, for me at least, to any future anxiety about any bizarre neo-technical dystopian futures that I might envision in my mind at two o'clock in the morning. We've got some bamboo toothbrushes for your teeth, some V-Dog treats for your friends with four feet. <laughs> I'm trying to make a song and I'm failing. This is so unlike me. We got a holiday giveaway with some sun warrior collagen to build your plump, beautiful, glowing skin so that maybe when you start dating again in 2021, you're going to win. We also have some sparkling bitter sodas that you'll feel in your mouth and down in your scrotas. Oh my God, I can't believe I just used the word scrotas. <laughs> Can we keep that in? Maybe that's inappropriate. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. I think we should keep it in. That's why the show is called This Might Get Uncomfortable. (laughs) We have so many incredible gifts that you can win in our holiday giveaway and our podcast anniversary extravaganza. I've never used the word extravaganza here on the podcast, but there's a first time for everything. You know, Whitney, we've got CBD in the mix. We've got some amazing granola. We've got some eco-friendly storage ware. We've got just so much cool stuff. Just a boatload, a bo- storage ware. Well, I don't know, well, like eco-friendly to-go ware stuff you can put your food in. Oh, yeah. Stuff you That's can put. Good. Honestly, it's it's really good, and I think you and I either own all of these products ourselves or have tried it at least once. And I'm very grateful for each of them in our lives. We went and curated a list of brands that we've raved about here on the podcast and uh, have been generous with us. We wanted them to be generous with you too, as a listener, especially if you've been with us from the beginning. And if you listen to most shows, if you've been sharing it, leaving reviews, we feel like you deserve a reward. And, And really, as Jason was saying, this has been a tough year. The holidays are different this year. Let's mix it up. Let's have some fun. Let's bring some joy to each other's lives and give you a chance. We've got a number of prizes, too, for a variety of winners. There's not just one winner in this giveaway. There are six. So your chances are high if you go to wellevator.com slash giveaway. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R dot com slash G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y. 
I really struggle with spelling sometimes and pronunciations, just like you might struggle with singing a song after you have an idea. That's part of being vulnerable and growing as a human being is putting yourself out there even when it's embarrassing. So thank you for singing, Jason. I love your songs. I hope the listener does too. And I really hope the listeners go and check out this giveaway because it's really, really good. So we know we've given you a lot of food for thought here, dear listener, as we do on This Might Get Uncomfortable. And we always appreciate you flowing with our really, I guess, kind of expansive and and related topics here of, of health and physical autonomy, neo-futurism, technology. We just, we feel so passionate and interested in so many aspects of life. And we just really love all of the comments. We've been getting a lot more DMs lately on our Instagram feed. If you haven't followed us yet on social media, we would absolutely love that. Whitney has been designing some incredible graphics and, and videos, and we are putting out three podcast episodes every single week as we have done since we started this podcast. And so if you haven't dove into our social media feeds, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube, TikTok, all the biggies. We're at Wellevator. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. That is also our website where, again, you can find the show notes to all of the books, the videos, the articles, any ancillary references or learning materials that we share with you. You can access all of those on our website and also download any previous episodes where we touch upon related topics like sovereignty and wellness and mental health. And we cover a hell of a lot of topics on this podcast, Whitney. I, I know we're in the mental health category on Apple Podcasts, but I wish there was a more, I wish there was like an experimental category or a tangential category that <laughs> maybe better encapsulated what we do. Maybe in the future, that'll be a future category. But for right now, if you guys, dear listeners, want to access us on Apple Podcasts, if you're not listening already, you can find us there. This might get uncomfortable and leave us a review. We always just love hearing your feedback. So until next time, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. Thanks for exploring all of these topics in a, in a deeper, more substantive way. And we'll be back soon with another episode for you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.